Good evening and welcome to Let's Talk Cricket here on Freeze Valley's radio. And obviously last week we heard the news of a Somerset great after 20 years has decided to retire from the game at the end of the season. James Hilder has played over 700 matches for the club, scoring to over 27,000 runs with 54 centuries. It's the third highest all-time run score in first-class cricket, exceeding over 17,000 runs in that game, averaging 40.46, his best of 303. And he also has the most runs for Somerset in the T20 competition. And obviously, some of the key moments I've grown up watching uh, James Hildreth, sort of grown up, sort of seeing him in the sort of key moments in the, when Somerset won competitions back in 2005, the T20 Cup, winning, hitting those winning runs, and the one-day Cup back in 2019, hitting those winning runs. A fantastic batsman. Don't know how he's not played for England. Uh, just a phenomenal player. And I'm delighted... To be joined by Somerset's bowling coach Steve Kirby this evening on tonight's show. Um, good evening, Steve. How are you? And obviously, what have you made of the news of Kurt, of um, Hildreth stepping aside? Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, thanks, George. It's great to be here again, and um, thanks for inviting me on as always. Um, yeah, wow. I mean, Stallwater Somerset uh, legend for so many years. Played cricket with him for three or four years. Now I'm obviously. Um, turned to the dark side on the coaching side of things. Um, but um, no, it's been an absolute pleasure to share a dressing room with the man. I used to change next door to him. I'm not sure that was a pleasure for him, um, but it was for me. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful bloke, really. Um, and yeah, a very, very talented player. And to this day, I still don't understand how he's not played for England. I think a lot of people around the country would be saying the same thing. Scored a lot of runs, averaged over 40 in first-class cricket in in a career that's, as you've said, I think it's spanned 21 years. Um, it's an awesome amount of runs. And he's actually been able to cross all formats. So, you know, he's been able to, wow, I mean, score runs against some of the quickest and the best um, that have either come here as overseas players or, or some of England's best. Um very, very good player with short pitch bowling. Um, I remember bowling at him quite a lot when I was at Gloucester and used to hang back, almost stand sort of middle and leg, leg stump really, use his hands through the offside. You know, at times you always felt like you could nick him off, but he would just sort of back cut you, leg cut you, and then you're overpitched, he'd drive you through the offside. And then if you obviously missed your length, even slightly short, he would just pounce on it. Um Really, really tough player to bowl at. And, and the other thing as well, George, is I think, you know, obviously people have said, oh, he's played at Taunton and he's played on some flat surfaces and, you know, but, you know, he scored a considerable amount of those runs away from home too. And he's done them on a variety of different wickets. And I think if he had have had the opportunity to play test cricket, especially given the, the current regime, <laughs> um I think he'd have been asked to, you know, I think he would have flourished, especially on those surfaces. So, um, yeah, be sorely missed at Somerset big time. The players love him. The coaching staff love him. Um, and I can't, I can't speak more highly of the man, really. Uh, lovely, lovely bloke. Um, yeah, and a real thorn in many bowlers' sides, I can tell you, for quite a long time. Absolutely. And I think, um, obviously, have you, have you highlighted some explosive player destructive player even in T20 cricket obviously was very classy in the four day game but actually was able to come to his own some of the highlight packages that have come up on the Somerset um, website of him reverse sweeping for six you know and even back in the day even being a handy bowler as well for Somerset in those limited open moments but are there any sort of memories that hold close to you as, as a obviously I know you mentioned there about bowling against him at Gloucestershire are there any memories of being part of the team that you, you might have quite fondly of his playing career yeah I mean we've been all over the world, you know, uh, travelled to multiple different places. I've done the Caribbean, um, the West Indies sort of T20 thing. When we when I first arrived at the club, we did a trip to um, India where we played in the Champions League. You know, he's, I've got some huge amounts of memories of watching him destroy an attack. Um, it was at Sussex. Uh, I can't remember the exact score now that we needed to get in the final innings, but him and Peter Trigo uh, put a partnership of about 280 on, I think, 270 and won the game for us. So he's he's done it, like you say, he's not just done it in championship cricket, he's done it 
in white ball cricket. And the thing that made him so dangerous in white ball cricket is he would he'd hit the same ball in three different areas. So if you bowled a ball that would hit the top of the off stump, he could cut you through the offside. He could take that ball over extra cover for six or four. And then he could quite easily just pull that same ball through mid-wicket for four. Very versatile, brilliant sweeper of spin. As you've just mentioned, reverse sweeps. Probably one of the first to actually properly do it, really, and, and devastate spin bowlers. Because when you can reverse sweep in one-day cricket, it, it means they have to pull another person over from the leg side um, into the offside to put an extra point there, an extra man behind. And then while that does, it opens up gaps everywhere else. And also then you then... You're always taking a gap from somebody, from, sorry, from somewhere. So the fact that then all the fielders turn squarer, he then smacks you down the ground or over extra cover. So he's particularly difficult to bowl that for spin. Um, and he, yeah, he could quite easily make a mock of a bowler. Some really good bowlers. I've seen, I've seen him hit Merlithran, um and sweep and reverse sweep him. I've, I've seen him. Last year, for example, when we were struggling big time, go up against one of the world's best off spinners in Ashwin and get 100. You know, right under pressure. He's, he's a wonderful bloke. Um, very quiet, very unassuming. Um, a mind of knowledge, but you have to go and get that out of him. Um, and he's, he's got a very dry sense of humour. Um, he'll do very, very well outside of the game. Um, very clever bloke. I think he's got three degrees. Might have, I might even be doing him a disservice there. I think he's got four. Um, so you can imagine some of the conversations that me and him used to have. He'd be the very intelligent one and I would lower the tone considerably. But um, now I'm going to miss him, mate. And I think everyone in the team is going to miss him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think you've highlighted as well, it's been quite nice to sort of see what he's like within, inside the dressing room. Because he always sort of seemed, from my perspective, obviously, along being a really good slip catcher thing as well... Yeah. Um, that sort of that knowledge you had of the game behind the scenes and sort of yeah. that sort of knowledge sort of over there. So yeah, we wish him all the best with with the rest of the season, obviously, and then happy retirement as well, away from cricket, sort of going from there. But obviously on the flip side, we've obviously hundred going on as well at the moment, Steve. We've then got young players making their way, their first opportunities in cricket, and we obviously saw in the unbelievable game, I don't know how I will get into a bit more detail a bit later in the show, the Durham match, mm. um, with Ben Green, the fantastic innings, but we saw the young young bowlers coming. Alfie Ogborn with his debut, and obviously Sonny Baker yep. taking six for forty-two. So is it is it quite you know is it quite nice to see that sort of development of, as a club sort of coming through with the different types of players that some of it have got? Yeah, no, definitely. Without doubt, George, I mean, you know, it, it's so pleasing. I know that we've been a victim of our own success at Somerset a little bit in the fact that a lot of players have gone off to the hundred. We've lost nine or ten players in total. Um, which puts a massive dent in anybody's squad. Um, you know, if you're somebody like a Hampshire or a Surrey where they've got 30 players on the squad, you know, losing nine or 10, you've still got a lot to choose from. So we've had, you know, we, we're a squad of 22, 23, and they lose 10. That really does put you in some disadvantage. And then what has been really pleasing is to watch, um, as you've mentioned now, Alfie Ogborn come in and make his debut. Very, very impressive young man. Um, obviously, very raw at the moment, and he'll and he's gonna he's gonna do very well. Um, you've not mentioned the lad that's not made it into the team yet, a lad called Jack Harding. You know, he's not he'll, he'll probably play a couple of games in this tournament, which would be great to see. And he's again a left armer that is a different type of bowler, um, slightly quicker through the air, but swings the ball. Um, so he's exciting to see. And then you've obviously got then. Sonny Baker, who burst onto the scene quite a lot last year, but then, you know, I can't speak more highly of this lad, really. He is, he's so driven and so professional in what he does, almost, if it's even possible to be too that too much that way. Um, and, you know, he's like, a, he's like a robot, mate. He just keeps going and going and going, and he never leaves no stone unturned. And it was so pleasing to see him come back from this stress fracture in his spine. We're working him, we're managing him well in the sense of he'll play a game, then he needs to be rested properly to give his spine time to heal. Um, so it's not one that, you know, with a young bowler like that, the tendency would be to say, right, let's play him in every game. You know, and especially when he comes in and takes six for nothing and turns the game around on its head. 
Because that was a very good surface, George. It was a very, very tough surface to bowl from. Could you imagine a very, very small? You've two players in, one both on 80-ish, I think, something like that. Um, you know, we, we really need a breakthrough. And he came on, bowled with some blistering pace and got a double wicket over and chased the game around. I mean, we were staring down the barrel of chasing 400 at one point. You know, and we restricted them. You might say it's quite a high score, but actually, in the context, um, I thought it was below par. Um, yes, we didn't bat brilliantly in the game as a full batting unit, which has been a bit of a theme for us in the past few games. But then to watch the way that Ben Green came in and just smacked it, wow. I mean, just proves if we would have had another one of our top five, top six um, to hang around with him, we'd probably won that with three overs to spare with the way he was playing. Um, so, yeah, brilliant from Sonny. Brilliant that he's been able to come in and take that six wickets. But again, don't be expecting him to be playing every game because we've got to manage him well. And just going back to your original point, which was, you know, not, nice to see some of these young players, nice to see them come into a tournament and give them the chance for that exposure, which is what the club's all about. And it's what the club has done brilliantly well over the past God knows how many years now. They know when to bring players in, when to take them away. You know, with James Rue coming into the side, you know, you've seen George Thomas, he's going to get a go as well. You know, you've got Sonny Baker, you've got Casey Ulridge, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very exciting, isn't it? It absolutely is. And just for um, just for like a, those players like myself that dreamed dreamed of becoming a professional cricketer but obviously didn't get didn't didn't get to that stage, what sort of what sort of the steps then, Steve, that come in place to identify those players to get in? Is it through the academy or is it people scouting people in different leagues and things? There's different ways to come in. So obviously you hear these stories like Richard Gleason and Jake Lintop were coming to the game quite late on. Yeah, look, there's always a place there for a late developer. I was one of those late developers as well. Um, you know, the game's littered with people like that. And and there should be something in the game to keep the options open for players who do mature slightly later. But the one thing that Somerset do very, very well, you know, they've had an academy structure, which originally through uh, Jace, Jason Kerr and Sarge, who was academy director way back when. And then obviously then taken over by Steve Snell, what they do is they they look, they identify the talent really, really well. So we've got a really good, you know, you never got it perfect, but the talent identification model that we've got across all the four um, national counties that we've got that border into Somerset is really good. Um, so we highlight the talent quite early. We then able them to refine that talent, uh, sorry, uh, pull that talent into what they call the PSPP, um, which is a, a programme which looks at the higher potential players. And then we then check the character out, not just their ability and their skills. And we make sure that they, um, that the ones that we do recruit onto the academy um, are made from the right stuff. Cause it, and it's a real credit to the way that the academy structure is set up. You know, they leave, again, no stone unturned. It's all about um, getting them so fit, so strong, mentally secure, so that they know what they need to come and deal with. And I think one of the biggest successes that Somerset do very well is they introduce the academy to the main pro structure very, very early. So it's, it's you know, as a, as a senior pro or as a coach, you've got, you have eyes on these young players in the academy very early. And then they are, then they are sort of exposed into the, into the first team environment, the second team environment. And they're made to feel very welcome. You know, and they and there's such a learning environment around. Everybody wants to help each other. So when James Rue then makes his debut, it's not like a shock to his system. And he has an amazing temperament. Um, got a huge future in the game. Really exciting. Um, make a big statement here. Last time I saw a talent as good as that was Marcus Trescothic. Um So you know, I think there's some real excitement there. It's difficult to make calls like that in it on young players because. You know, you don't want to put too much expectation on people, and that's dangerous. Um, and perhaps I shouldn't have said what I've just said, but he is a very, very exciting young player with a great temperament. That's the key. And I think that's what we do really well in the academy and what we do all the way through the uh, the structure is is assess their ca- their characters, enhance, create a fear, um, you know, um, take that fear of failure away. Um you know, go out and express yourself, enjoy yourself. We're trying to enhance uh, thinking cricketers, cricketers that, you know, 
can think on their feet, work situations out. You know, I could talk for hours on what, what we've been doing really, really well, and it's nothing to do with me, my, by the way. There's some amazing people in the pathway. Andy Griffiths, now obviously with Matt Drakeley, and all the brilliant coaches we've got through the pathway. It's it's something that I think a lot of counties around the, the country should and do look at as what is best practice. Yeah, and I think that that's really useful insights. Thank you for that. And it's sort of just building on, like, you know, all this new exciting talent that we're seeing being being given and it's 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 paying off, isn't it? It's definitely when you see Will Smith the other night hitting that hitting the first century in uh, the hundred. So it's all sort of paying off and all those all those different elements and go from there. No, absolutely. I mean look, Smith is just an absolutely amazing talent again, but isn't it just an, a true indication of where the game's going at the moment? Which is a bit of a worry actually because you know, I know he's still got a heart to want to try and play Red Bull cricket. Um but when he can earn that amount of money and that, have that much exposure within the white ball game, it does make you wonder, as we've alluded to on many times on the programme, we've talked a lot about you know, the effects of what the 100 are having and the white ball. You're going to end up having two different types of cricketers. And it's a concern for me because you know, you, we need to reward the higher... We need to reward red, red ball cricket. We need to keep the skills in the game. And what that means is, is you know, we need to create more money available for uh, pools of players that want to play both red ball and white ball cricket. And then if you make the prize money higher and the salary is higher, and then all of a sudden it won't be so enticing to go off and play these white ball tournaments because, you know, you can actually still stay, earn some good money as a pro, um, but still, in my opinion, play the best format in the game, which is, um, you know, trying to get to test cricket. And I think it's a concern. And looking at the way Smeedy has gone about his business now, we may lose him to Red Bull cricket. You know, that would be a shame. Um, he's so exciting. He's such a powerful player. But he's, you know, he's a man mountain. His arms are massive. He's such a strong bloke. You know, I, I chuck at him and, and throw at him in the nets. I'm in genuine danger of getting hurt. He hits the ball that hard. And that's the modern day player. That's the way they're doing it. You know, they're just... They hit the ball so cleanly these days, George. It's it's very, very, very worrying as a coach because you get hurt, potentially, but also really, really exciting. But I do hope that we keep the skills within the game. There's not just there's multiple different ways to play the game of cricket. It's not just sheer brute strength and power. You know, there's finesse, there's batsmanship, there's being able to construct innings. You know, the way Tom Abel plays, he's got power, but he's also got finesse. You know, the way that Joe Root plays and so on. I think the best best players in the world have the best basics and they can go from red ball to white ball cricket. My only concern will be is if you've created a white ball cricketer, could he then turn to red ball cricket? And I don't think that that is easy to do. If you look around world cricket, there aren't many can do that, if any. And so it's important that we we, we are we have a vehicle within the game to create the right basics uh, because once uh, once those skills are gone, there's no one able then to teach them. Um, so, yeah, the game's in a real um, turning point. But brilliant to see Smeedy smacking it and doing really well. But, um, you know, I probably digressed a little bit onto a different topic, but I think it's an important one. No, absolutely. I think you're right. I think it is a little bit worrying, isn't it, when we're seeing people getting drawn particularly to playing those limited overs opportunities and perhaps seeing players when they're getting their first taste of cricket, getting those opportunities first of all in the limited overs format rather than for sort of the four day mm. format. And is it is it just are you are you sort of finding then when player players are just aren't as interested in the Red Bull game as they once were, or is it is it down is it down is it purely down to the money factor, would you say, Steve? Hey, it's money, it is money and it and it's fame and it's it's exposure and it's you know, and you're a young player right now and you're seeing all this razzmatazz, crash bang wallop in white ball cricket. And then you're somebody like Will Smead who could potentially go and play in three, four different tournaments around the world and earn, you know, best part of 400, 500 grand a year or whatever it is. But then he's going to stay here for, I don't know, I'm, I'm pulling figures out of the head now, uh, you know, in county cricket on considerably less in county cricket. What's he going to do? He's going to want to go and not chase the cash, but chase, chase the... Chase the fame, chase all of the you know the things that the white ball cricket is showing now around the game. And so, what I think they need to do is they need to address that within county cricket and within 
the red ball format. And the game should then, for example, should offer you the opportunity to have a 12-month contract in and around Somerset or whichever county you're at, which then allows you to earn that good money where you don't need to go and get enticed away. Now, how that's going to happen, I don't know. But once the, the red ball game is gone and the skills, and I mean the red ball game gone, I'm talking about the main skills of the game, the ability to bat for a whole day, you know, your good, strong defensive techniques where you can play the moving ball, all of those things. Once those uh, players aren't playing the game anymore, who teaches you? Who's going to show you? Who's the role models out there? And that's the concern. So I, I think what we need to do is we need to protect the longer format of the game because of those intricate skills. Because once they're gone, they're gone. You can't bring them back. For live match commentary of Yeovil Town Football Club. Might drop for the shot here. Oh, what a shot that is! It has to be Three Valleys Radio. Some more of our unpopular cricketing opinions. Uh, so we've put the word out in some of our ex-clubs uh, and on social media, and we're getting some responses and uh, some of our followers' unpopular opinions. And we thought we'd, we'd test them out on a season pro today. Ooh. So the first of today's unpopular opinions uh, concerns two-day test matches. Uh, so TC, uh, who will remain broadly anonymous, uh, plays for mid side. Who is Who's this showing, John? Who is it? Uh, it's from a guy called. He's, he's given me his initials. Um, I know who he is because he plays in one of my midweek sides. Uh, but he'll 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 stay anonymous as just as TC. And uh, if he's listening, you'll know who he is. Okay, it's not uh, Tom Curran, is it? It's sadly not Tom Curran. If I knew the Currens, yeah. I think I'd, I'd, I'd probably have had him on by now. <laughs> um, Two-day test matches are fine. They're entertaining, much less of a time commitment, and I think they show a good level of competition in international cricket. So we had a bit of a chat, I think, last time you were on, Steve, about uh, the England test performances. So I think this is in reference to those two-day games that were over and done with a bit quicker than we would have expected ordinarily. Um I don't think this is too much of an unpopular opinion, Steve. What do you make of it? Well, the fact that people have two-day test matches... Um, sorry, teams have two-day test matches. Well, firstly, I don't think two-day test matches are ideal. <laughs> um, from my perspective, a test match is a five-day test match. And that's because it's the ultimate test that the game has to offer. And um, you need to play on a pitch that is conducive to allow five days of cricket. Now, day one, yes, it might do a little bit early, especially in England or whatever, especially with the new ball. But then it should um, get better and better as the day goes on. And to day two should be the best day to bat. Day three should start to spin and day four uh, becomes tough and day five is an ultimate test if we can get to the fifth day of the pitch is spinning then and you had five days of wear on the wicket so as a batting unit technically you want to bat for two days in a test match now you can't tell me most of the time now when we're playing on in test matches around the world right now, the pitches are conducive to play five days. They're not, are they? I mean, some of those wickets that we're playing on right now are spinning from ball one with invariable bounce. That's not good enough. Now, if you've got a bowler who can take wickets on a day one pitch and it's flat, because he can swing the ball and he can get it to bounce and he bowls really quickly, then good on him. If he's got, a, if you've got a bowler that can control the rate as a spinner, for example, and get offers you some turn on day one, he has to be a brilliant spinner. And therefore, as the game progresses, he comes into his own. So, we should be producing, if we can the very best bowlers that can play on good pitches, good surfaces that can predominantly move the ball or create some sort of element of X factor because it's meant to be test cricket. So I'm sorry, playing two-day test matches, not good enough. It means either A, as a batting unit, you're not, you're not performing 
to what you should be, or the pitch itself is below par. What do you think? Um, I, I get what he's saying from the entertainment perspective. Um, you know, you, you can say many things about those two-day matches, but they certainly weren't boring. Uh, oh. But you're right. I think from a technical point of view, there needs to be more made of it. And you mentioned the pitch as well, and the, the quality of the pitch on the second day, the ball spinning from day one. You know, it's 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 something that certainly I've not seen much of before. Uh, by the looks of it, some of the England batsmen hadn't seen much of it either. Um, so I think more competition over a longer a, a longer period of play would be nicer to see for me. I'm a bit of a purist. I actually quite enjoy long five day test matches. I, I enjoyed the West Indies Sri Lanka, although it was nil nil in the series. Actually, got two full five day games, which was quite entertaining. I thought. Mm. Mm. Um, I hope this is the shape of things to come. <laughs> But it was interesting, wasn't it? The, de- the first test match in India was a really good wicket day one. Really good wicket. And then it, day two, it batted better. And we were able to accumulate a good score. And then it started to spin. It spun a lot in the end. But we were able to, um, you know, apply some pressure with the bat early. Now, don't get me wrong, right? I think as a batting unit, We've got some work to do in England on playing spin. And bowlers need to be able to bowl on spinning pitches. And we got chastised at Somerset for producing spinning wickets for quite a few years. But it's actually, if you dare I say it, been able to help Don Bess and Jack Leach and Lewis Goldsworthy and, and other spinners that we've had at the club. Murley Kartik said he loved playing at Somerset. You know, you know, and I think it's I think actually we should be playing on more spinning wickets around the country if we're going to produce good spinners and actually get our batters better at playing spin. Because we were, we were actually not. If you looked at how many wickets we actually, uh, the wickets that we, you know, that we got out to, uh, you know, in those test matches, they weren't spinning balls that got us out. There were straight balls that were smacking us on the pad or missing them. So it was a non-spinning ball that got all the wickets, wasn't it? So. I don't know. Anyway, I could get I could get onto my soapbox about it. I think you should be able to play at least four days of a test match and be lovely you could play into five because it's a test, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Well done. You're handling the unpopular opinions better than George did last week. I'm unpopular. I'm unpopular with my answers. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the next unpopular opinion uh, is, is less technical and more a, a, a statement on a, on a staple part of the club game. Uh, which is T. Um, so slightly further away than our normal stomping grounds this time. This comes from a, a chap called Matt in Macclesfield, who I played schoolboy cricket with. Yeah. Um, his opinion is that T at club level isn't that great. It's his least favourite part of the game. He'd much rather bring his own food than have to deal with stale sandwiches, own brand crisps, cold sausage rolls that everyone has already had their hands on. Even pre-COVID, he wasn't a fan. He hopes they go for good. What do you make of that, Steve? Oh, I, I, there's nothing unpopular about that. I fully agree with him. I mean, stale sausages and stale bread and crisps. And, I mean, who's making his teas? I mean, good Lord. I mean, fair play. I mean, every tea I've ever had, they've been nice. So I reckon he should have a word. He should bring his own good food in. I reckon my plan, my, my advice to him would be get all of the team together, say, right, what is it you'd really like to eat for tea? And they all bring something in they like, and then they stick it on the table. And then they, they all share together. Or, or you go to, um, you know, whoever it is that's going to do some cooking that day and say, right, you need to bring in a, a really nice pie or you're really nice, do you know what I mean? Because tea, tea's an important part of the game. And if you've got stale sausages and stale crisp and and this that and the other and a, and a bit of lettuce and a, you know and it's not quite there, then someone's not really caring about their teas, are they? Uh, tea is fantastic because everyone takes a turn and everyone takes their opportunity to do. I think quite simply to answer your friend's question is maybe he should take control of tea. Maybe that should be the solution. Maybe if he's fed up of stale sandwiches because I've never had a stale sandwich, had excellent scones, jam and cream to the tea, the quiche there. Maybe he should take control of the teas. And I think, actually, maybe even pay a bit of money and get someone into regular cater might, might solve this issue of having some issues with teas there. And I think, if we follow this question up a little bit further, Steve, the best tea you've had? Best place to go for tea? Oh, Lord. 
Lords. They put you a three-course meal on, and there's a menu. Everything at Lords is just, is just mega. I mean, I cannot explain how good it is at Lords. The pitches are fantastic. Um, the training facilities are amazing. Um, the ground is amazing. And then the teas are just, oh, out of this world. They'll do you um, a sirloin steak, for example. They'll have, um, you know, full on. I mean, they do, they do like a, um, like a sticky toffee pudding for dessert. Oh my good lord! I mean, anyone wants to go out and bowl after that? Fair play to them. It is. I mean, look, they they genuinely give you um, a three course meal menu there. You choose it in the morning. I mean, obviously, it might be slightly different in COVID days now. Uh, but we're going to Lords this week, and I, it's the best thing I'm looking forward to, obviously, other than a Somerset win. Um, but I, I can't wait for the, can't wait for the lunch and the dinner and the tea and everything. Standing, I'm not sure I could play a game after a three-course meal, but fair play. <laughs> well, I don't need to play anymore. I'm just a coach, so I can, I can, I can tuck right in, really. Very true. Perks <laughs> of the job, privilege of rank. Exactly, yeah. I can get in the gym after, can I? Whether that's answered the tea, the tea question, but you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, George. You know, go and get some outside caters or caterers in. Pay a bit more. Pay ten quid instead of seven pound fifty. Stop being tight for your teas. <laughs> get out well, there. The, the highlight, the highlight of the club I have recently left. So I probably shouldn't extol their virtues too much. Well, they were sponsored by a pub who used to do all the catering, uh, which made our job as a, as a club an awful lot easier. And it meant we always had quite decent scoff at home games. Um, but I think you're right. Yeah, something needs to be done if that's his experience. It is. He's had a terrible experience. Uh, I mean, I'll I... make tea for him. How about that? To ask him. Ask him which club is he at. Right. I'll come and I'll come and bring a tea for him. Outstanding. You know? Good act of charity. I think. There you go. I'll show him a proper cricket, you know, cricketer's tea, and that'd be it then. And what's on this proper cricketer's tea? What, what are you putting <laughs> on this proper cricketer's tea, Steve? Well, it depends. Depends what he wants. Tell him to ring up, and we'll uh, and we'll put it together for him. You can't have him bad having bad experiences on a Saturday, can we? Hey, are you going to the Yeovil Ukulele Festival? Sunday the 4th of September at Haysbury Mill near Crookern. 11 o'clock in the morning till 9 at night with big acts from the ukulele world including Plastic Jesus, Tricity Vogue, The Hedge Inspectors, 80s icon Sam Brown, Pete Brown, Hester Goodman from the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, and local duo in sync. Like Tickets are available from the website www.yogalukulele.club and on the door. And it's all in aid of Mind in Somerset. There'll be performances across two stages, workshops, strum and sing-alongs, trade stands, food, raffle and more. So make sure you get there. September the 4th at Hazelbury Mill near Krugard. When I'm cleaning windows. Or should I be looking at other drills before they sort of head into the nets? I mean, there's no substitute for getting in the nets and bowling at batters. Um, but I would say the basics, all the best bowlers in the world have great basics. What I mean by that is it doesn't matter how they get there. Um, they run in in a straight line and they go from A to B in a straight line and get as much energy within their action going in a straight line. I call it going in the train track. So set yourself a train track from the end of your run all the way through the crease towards the batter. And no matter what happens within your action and how you get there, when you run in and take off, back foot contact, front foot contact, follow through, should all be in a straight line. So my, I would suggest, as a bowler, uh, preparing for the season, go back to basics. Start small, start off 
four or five paces, six, seven paces, work your way up, keep working through the train track, try and get everything going towards the batter, whether that's through your load up through jump gather, working, working your hard with your front arm and really finishing off with your follow through. Just make sure everything stays in the train track and then build yourself back slowly. Um, make sure you get your back strong. So make sure you're doing lots of flexibility work, lots of superman work. So you're standing on, you know, you're sitting on your stomach, uh, sorry, lying on your stomach and doing sort of opposite arm, opposite leg like a superman. So you're getting your back strong, doing lots of sit-ups, get your core strong, get your glutes strong, because your trunk is absolutely massively important as a bowler. Um, it's like the only way I can describe it when you're bowling if you liken yourself to a canoe on a on a on a on a river, and you tried to fire a cannon off the canoe, and it wasn't anchored to the floor, where would the canoe? You know, where would the cannon go? It'd, it'd just fire everywhere, wouldn't it? But your core, your glutes, your back, are what anchor you to the floor, so that you can be more powerful as you bowl through. So really, get your trunk, your core your backside, your legs strong um, and then build your way up and work your way up slowly, bowling into targets, staying in, staying in the train track and then as you get better and stronger and fitter, work your way back off your long run and most importantly, go and enjoy it because gosh, we've been in lockdown for I don't know how long, we're actually going to get out there and we're going to go out and just enjoy the game and Enjoy being with your mates, being outside, and enjoy each other's company. And you know we're very lucky to play this fantastic game that we all love. And best of luck to everybody. And then uh, one final question then on sort of bowling and sort of some coaching tips. We've had a question in from uh, Tom in Yeovil. He was trying to work on yeah. some different variations for sort of club season ahead. He's been trying to work on his slower ball, and he's trying all these different variations, but he can't seem to get. The back of the hand to work. He's tried with the sort of cutter as well, over the knuckle. Just a few tips on some bowlers looking to bowl a slower ball and sort of some drills they could perhaps work at doing there, Steve. Gosh, slow balls are really difficult um, because there's such there's so many now. Um, so for me to give you an exact, um, oh, bowler one out the back of the hand or bowl a knuckleball or bowl the off cutter or bowl whatever you, you have to get in there and practice and practice and practice slow balls in the nets. And I used to call it um, an exploration session. When you bowl a slow ball in the nets, first time you bowl it, it's likely to hit the side net, or it's likely to go somewhere where you don't want it to go. But what you don't, what you mustn't do in an exploration session is judge it. You just, it's not. Don't get frustrated. Get fascinated. Say, ah, that was interesting. That came out like that. Or, for example, holding it tight in your fingers can make, have a go with that, tighten your fingers, and then really loosen your fingers. So whether you're bowling a leg cutter, an off cutter, one out the back of the hand or a knuckleball, have a go with holding onto the ball slightly tighter or, um, or loosen the finger grip. And the other thing for a slow ball as well is, the, only re the reason why a slow ball can be effective is because it has the same arm speed. So don't slow your arm down. If you slow your arm down, it doesn't become a slow ball. They get, it, become, it gives you a tell very quickly as the batter. Exactly, something's different. So it's about keeping the same action, the same arm speed, and actually the difference is, is how you release the ball, not so much how much you slow your arm down. So your arm speed should be just as quick, if not quicker, for the slow ball than it should be um, for every other ball. And therefore, you're creating deception. And therefore, depending on which slow ball you choose, a knuckleball can be interesting. I've not got a ball here, here with me, but knuckleball, you need to have some really, really quite big fingers because the knuckleball sits at the back of the ball. And a lot of people try and hold on to just really into the fingertips with a knuckleball, and that gives you no control whatsoever. So if you can hook your thumb under the ball so that you've created an anchor with the inside of your thumb and then your fingers on a knuckleball pinch back behind the ball. You've still got some control on the ball as you let go of it. 
And a lot of people, when they go for knuckleballs, they just literally try and hold it in their fingertips. And then you've got no control of when you release it. And the other thing is as well, when you're bowling off cutters, try and find a way of being able to turn the doorknob at the end. So like an off spinner does. So you might be holding on to seam up, but as you get to the top, try and turn the doorknob. If you like, turn the door handle as if you're opening a door right at the very end. And then therefore you keep your arm speed really, really quick. And the idea between an off cutting slow ball is to try and get overspin on the ball so that it looks like it goes up and then goes down very quickly into length. So actually you're creating some sort of deception. But most importantly, I'd say with any slow ball, get out there and enjoy them. Go out and practice them. Have some fun with them. That's what they are. This Learning craft and learning something new with the ball is actually is fun. Don't be scared of having a go. And never judge in, a, in an exploration session anything. It's all about having some good fun. What did I learn there? And then what you can do then from an exploration session, you might bowl 20 slow balls and two or three were good. But most people try and judge the other 17 they didn't do very well. You might get three right out of 20. It's about taking the learning from those three and then going into what I call a practice with purpose session. Oh, so I know I've got to, got to hold on tighter with it in my fingers or I've got to make sure I keep my arm speed the same. That's then what you practice repurpose. So the next 20 you bowl, you might get 10 right, which is 50%. And the next session you bowl, you might get 14 right. And therefore, you get building belief and confidence in that ball. And I think when everybody bowls slow balls right now, they just seem to um, bowl a few and then, if you like, rack it off in the nets because it's not going where they want it to go. So... Just go and have some fun and practice it a lot, I'd say. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. Okay, as we move on then, got some questions here. Talking about mm-hmm. how do you control swing bowling? And start with what is swing bowling for those people, for someone who's listening who's perhaps never heard of the term before? Well, Look, I think I think swing bowling is um, it's an art. It really is, and obviously we've got the best swing bowler um, in England. I would say that. Well, look how many wickets that bloke took, Jimmy Anderson. What he's able to do, swing swing bowling is where the ball moves in the air. The idea of a swing of a of a swinging ball is not to get what they call early swing from the hand, but late swing. If it can swing in the last third of the wicket or the last third of the pitch, then the batters have less time to react. So that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming for late movement. Um, I don't know whether it's worth... Be, the art of bowling, swing bowling, I wasn't a big swinger of the ball. I was more... I could shape the ball and I could certainly seam the ball. Um, actual out-and-out swing bowlers now um, are quite rare. Um, so there's a lot of talk now about you set people up for swing and then they want to bowl these what they call wobble seams, which are sort of nippers, and they, they nip back. So the idea of swing bowling now is to lull the batsman over, take a right-handed batsman, for example. You're swinging it away, you're swinging it away from a mid-crease position. Swing it away, swing it away, swing it away. You drag the batsman over, so the head falls over, what they call having a heavy head. So they're following the swing, they're following the swing. 
And the idea being then is a ball that doesn't swing and that can nip back from slightly wider of the crease, bang. That's where you either get people LBW or bold. So it's quite an art form. And then conversely, the same thing can apply going across a left-hander, swinging it away, swinging it away, and then swinging a ball back. And if you've got the skill level and you've got the... Uh, you've done the homework on the players, you can see from batters' techniques exactly what they're doing. Some people have what I call a heavy head and they plant their front foot and they're big LBW candidates. Or there are batters that bat a little bit where their bats come inside and out and therefore then what I would call nick the ball and get caught behind because they're defending a little bit away from their bodies or they're defending at fourth and fifth stump. So swing bowling is all about trying to take some sort of uh, weakness from the batsman and exploit it. Um, being able to swing the ball, some ball, sometimes the ball swings and it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you've got a. Sometimes you you hold the ball very seam up, and you and your wrist allows you to swing the ball. Sometimes you must canter the seam a little bit towards the slips. And again, the different biases in the ball, um, and the different conditions. Um, more humid it is, the more heat you can get into one side of the ball, because basically the shinier the side, the ball, the air resistance travels past one side quicker than the other. Um, it's quite, um, it, I don't know, it's quite an old wise tale as to why certain pitches, or sorry, certain grounds swing more than others, um, why balls, certain balls swing more than others. The best swing bowlers get the ball bolt uh, upright and rotating slightly backwards which for some reason allows the ball to swing more. Um, we've got a brilliant swing bowler in, in Lewis Gregory um, and a very underrated swing bowler is, is Tom Abel, who always, for some reason, always gets the ball. Um, if there is any swing on offer, he gets it. So, uh, look, we could talk for hours and hours and hours on swing bowling. It's, it's a craft and it's the exciting part of the game for a bowler when they learn learn how to swing the ball and then they need the accuracy to be able to back that up so I don't know I could keep talking a lot George ask me more questions go, on it please. Yeah, yeah go for it uh, so um, I think the sort of concern is finding out that the ball does swing and you can swing it quite a bit or, or quite a little what sort of exercises could you use to try and control that a little bit more as we talk about that sort of accuracy element what could we sort of be looking yeah. to do well once you've been able to understand the seam presentation and being able to... So the swing ball, swing bowling doesn't... People used to talk about getting a little bit more side on in your action and that's going to help you swing it away and, oh, you must open your action up and that will get you to ball swing, swing in. That's not strictly true. The wrist position, having good, strong wrist positions where you're able to turn your wrist and present your wrist towards first slip, that swings the ball away. The actual way that Jimmy Anderson bowls the ball is he doesn't, he can swing the ball away by turning his wrist towards the slips, or he doesn't turn his wrist and, he's, and his wrist is slightly pushing in at the batsman and swings the ball in. But he doesn't have any discernible change in his action. So the idea is be able to get yourself understanding what your wrist position needs to do to present the ball to swing. So once you know that it is swinging, the way that you can practice that is by putting what I call a channel down or a gate. So one way to do it is put your stumps down the far end that you're aiming at, probably at around about four metres away from um, away from the crease. Put another set of stumps. But the idea being, if it's now, if you were to put that at around about a fifth or a sixth stump line, the idea being to swing the ball, right arm ball, at swinging the ball away from a right hander, he would then swing it inside the stumps and then you've got to leave it. So you're creating this curving effect. And as you get better, you pull the stumps in slightly slightly tighter. And the job is to try and get even tighter to that line. So obviously you get a point if you swing it around the stumps and back out towards the slips. That's a point. If you missed completely the gate, you get no points. And you can build yourself up bowling with games like that. And as you get better, you bring your stumps in a bit tighter and you get a little bit tighter. The other thing is as well, once you then have mastered that, the next level of it would be to use the crease a little bit more. So for, I don't know, without it's very hard to explain over mm. sort of a, um, a radio 
<laughs> but if you were to draw a diagram, if you were to imagine the ball is coming down and it's going to swing away from a right-hander, the tighter you get to the stumps as a right-arm over bowler, the easier it is to see that swing. So the batsman sees the angle, oh, he sees it swinging, he knows it's not going to hit his stumps, and he's then able to leave the ball. Whereas if you come from slightly wider of the crease, a more mid-crease position, which something Chris Wokes does brilliantly, and Jimmy Anderson, and, and sometimes Stuart Broad, they use the crease. So what that does is it means that the angle the ball's coming in at them, at a right-handed batsman, means that if it doesn't swing, it may hit the off stump. So they have to play the ball. So it's inducing the chance to play at balls that they wouldn't normally would, would be playing at by using the crease. And it's all about changing your angles. But that's really advanced stuff. Firstly, get the ball swinging, enjoy the ball swinging, learn how to do that, then get a little bit more accurate with it. Then once you've got that accuracy and you've got the game there, then you can start to use the crease. And then, um, that helps. And then for sort of the bowlers then who sort of consider themselves to be perhaps not a good bowler if the ball's not swinging and they just regard themselves as perhaps as a medium pacer at best, what sort of things could they sort of try to do? Would it be perhaps be talking about sort of moving from the from side to side in the crease when you're resetting the ball? Or would it be using your slur balls or your Yorkers to sort of compensate when perhaps you're not getting that ball to swing to still try and be effective in the club game? Well, look, the best bowlers, the best bowlers in the country are accurate. You take a Tim Murtagh, he's not the quickest bowler in county cricket, but he's still bowling and he took over a 1,000 wickets. He's got great skills, and one of his biggest attributes with that, he moves the ball, but he's very, very, very accurate. Hardly bowls you a bad ball. So, no point being a master of, sorry, a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none, you know? No point having slow balls and good Yorkers and all these other things. If you can't hit, or you can't be accurate in your stock ball, what I call your ball that is going to be your bread and butter, then, you know, you can't really be effective in a club game. So for medium pace bowlers, accuracy is key. Then you're trying to be able to move the ball. There's no point swinging the ball wide and getting smacked through the covers or swinging the ball into the pads and getting hit through the leg side. So, you know, try and work on your accuracy if you're slower. But um, for the quicker bowlers... Yes, we want to try and swing the ball. Yes, we want to try and move the ball. But most importantly, if you're a fast bowler, try and bowl fast. Don't slow down. Um, or don't try and slow down because there's a lot of medium paces. So if you do see a young bowler who's got some pace in club cricket, the worst thing you can tell them is slow down. Because then they become a slow, you know, a medium pace bowler. And one thing we are trying to find in the game right now are people who can bowl quick. So if you do have somebody who can bowl fast, don't be don't be frustrated by the fact that they do bowl the odd wide here and there, because that's going to happen for a young bowler. And enjoy them, enjoy helping them, nurture them, help them understand that they are going to bowl bad spells, but they're going to be match winners as well. And then sort of moving away then from sort of looking at swing bowling, mm -hmm. um, a couple of final questions, more sort of directed at sort of club club level. Um, mm -hmm. when you're playing in poor conditions so for example over the weekend myself and Johnny played on a pitch that when the mud got so wet it sort of felt like clay and you could actually see the bull sort of the bull mark not sea marks the actual bull mark landing in the mud oh, um, wow. how, yeah. do you, how do you look after the bull in those conditions to make the most of it oh gosh um, well you need a towel <laughs> to try and get it get it dry Um there's nothing worse with a ball that's got so much mud and what have you or, or so much of the of the turf in the sea. You've got to be able to say to the umpire, you can't go tinkering and, and tampering with the ball, but you're going to say, excuse me, sir, um, please can you help me clean the dirt out of the seam, for example. And at least then you can say to the umpire, you know, the umpire can help you. Last thing you want to be doing is getting your fingernails into the seam and then he thinks you're trying to raise the seam or whatever you so do it do it properly ask the umpire to help you clean the ball have plenty of rags out there um and the other thing is as well when the pitch is really um well, i mean i used to play up north in the lancashire leagues we used to play sometimes on really damp damp wickets you've got to pitch the ball up 
the tendency is to you know to bowl the same length that you would be bowling on a decent wicket, and therefore the ball just sits up. So try and get them driving. Try and get them driving on slow on slow, what they call pudding wickets. Um, get men on the drive. Get men get men there catching on the cover or at mid wicket. It's going to be very hard to keep the ball on the ground, isn't it? Um, so yeah, just just things like that, and then managing the ball. Gosh, good luck if it's taking pieces out of the pitch. It's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a challenge, George. I'd say. Yeah, it, I can tell you, it certainly was in both batting and bowling. Do um, do those conditions then sort of poor weather conditions? Do they have an advantage for either side, or is it still problems for both sides of both bat and ball? Yeah, because if you've got such, if, if for example the ball gets hit into the outfield, ball becomes ball comes back very wet. So any swing that you were potentially looking to bring to the ball, the ball obviously gets very damp, and it and it can really really affect that. So yeah, it's difficult to hold the ball and hold the ball, ball's damp. But again, it's not it's not great conditions for the batters as well because they want to be able to have a true surface that they can um, you know play good shots with. So um, yeah, not not great all round. And the, the one thing I will say for bowlers, plenty of sawdust down. You know, making sure that you keep cleaning your boots, knocking them off, because there's nothing worse than picking up lots and lots of excess um, turf or or mud on on you know on your spikes, because that can actually create an injury as well. So make sure you just keep cleaning them off all the time. It's it's annoying. Hey, at least we're playing. <laughs> you know, for a little while there, we weren't playing any cricket for quite some time. So look, you know, it's going to get drier, and I think we're going to get some better weather soon. Soon as this, uh, soon as this little weather spot just goes away, I suppose. But we are playing in the southwest, George. We are, and indeed. and it does rain a little bit down here. <laughs> it certainly does. And then the final question, then. So, as a bowler, sometimes you have a bad couple of overs, poor couple of overs, and you're hearing advice mm. all over the field, sort of trying to give you advice, telling you how to bowl, hearing of that. Sometimes trying to cheer you on to keep you going, keep you motivated. So, who mm. do you listen to in the field, and? Bowlers, as we say, bowlers seem to get advice from every angle that you turn in the field. Who do you pick out to give you the right advice? The person you trust the most, generally the captain. Hopefully your captain is a really good person, although they wouldn't be a good captain. Um, you need a captain that's patient, um, doesn't show emotion, um, that's the worst. You know, you bowled a bad ball and the, um, and the, and the captain's there with his hands on his hip or you know, touching and thinking, oh gosh, what a bad ball that was. That's the last thing you need you need as a player. The other thing is then when you when you are on the pitch, um, try and keep it as simple as simple as possible. If it's too complicated in your own mind, you're not going to deliver it. You're not going to be able to um, deliver to a plan. So keep the plan very very simple. Communicate it well with your captain. Uh, look to try and get hit one side of the wicket. That generally is the key. Um, you can set a field then. Um, and always, if the pitch is, so for example, you're bowling, you can bowl to a 6-3 offside field and start start at fifth and sixth stump outside off stump. And as you've got your confidence there, you can then get a little bit tighter to the stumps. No point starting at the stumps. It goes down, you get hit for four, then you try and bowl and then it goes slightly wider and bang. You know, you're going around the park. At least you can give your captain some sort of uh, control by bowling one side of the wicket until you get your confidence, until you get the belief in what you're doing. Set the field accordingly um, and keep it really, really simple. And most importantly, everybody wants to help you. No one wants to see you do badly out there. Um, so just keep up plenty of belief and try and keep smiling as well. It's never easy as a bowler. Sometimes you just you're out there and the little man on your shoulder is having a go at you. Um, <laughs> the little man on my shoulder used to have a go at me quite a lot. Um, and the best thing to do for the little man is just to smile at him and say thanks very much. Um, you know, and I, and I think and I think when you are in that place on the pitch, go to the person you trust. Keep it simple, and most importantly, keep smiling. And then. Um... Who was that person you trusted the most when you were bowling, particularly at Somerset? Oh, I had several, really. Um, well, I really liked bowling with Charles Willoughby. Um, I know he's a left-arm seamer, but he'd always make you smile. 
Um, Alfonso Thomas was brilliant to bowl with. Peter Trigo was fantastic. Because um, generally, if you were, you know, getting a little bit high <laughs> rate, which I used to do it many, many times, he'd, he'd take something completely out of the game and, and just make you laugh, you know, of something that's completely away from cricket. Um, I think I made him laugh quite a lot of the time on a cricket field. But look, I, I don't know. It, when you're on when you're on the pitch, the best thing I thought about doing because you start thinking about your internal thoughts a lot. Get yourself into the match. Get yourself into the battle. What does my team need from me right now? And my team needs me to be on it. And I and therefore at that point it got, gets you away from the inner demons that are going on. Okay, we need a wicket here. I'm going to be the man. Or we need, you know, the captain needs me to keep control of the scoreboard because they're going, right, give me the ball, Skip. Um, and then, therefore, what you then do is you, you're playing for the team, you're playing for the situation. Um, that's how I used to do it, really. And then, hopefully, um, you bring a few of, the, few of your teammates with you while you're doing it. I think that is all our time for this evening. Thank you very much, Steve, for uh, all your help as always. Real pleasure to have you on as always. Hope you go well. Hope, hope it was a big win. Thanks, George. Yeah, thank, thanks again as well. And um, looking forward to speaking to you with a nice little win under our belt. That'll be good.